Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has 14 years of law enforcement analysis experience, both with Pomona Police Department and Redlands Police Department in California. She's the union president for civilians and the president of the Inland Empire Crime and Intelligence Analyst Association. She also happens to be a Halloween baby, born on October 31st. Please welcome Amy Varela. Amy, how are we doing? Doing pretty great, Jason. Thanks for having me here. Before we get started, you did send me uh, some unique information about yourself in terms of your kids' names. And so I noticed that you and I both have kids' names in which all their names end in O-N. That's so, correct. I didn't know that about you, but yes, yes, they both do. Yeah. Well, my wife and I, well, for our second child, we did it on purpose um, because my, uh, both our names, my wife's name is Devin, so her, it's O-N, so all of our names end in O-N. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So, uh, so my son, I named it as a derivative of Jason, which is Eisen, I-A-S-O-N. It's the Greek form of, of Jason. Just fun fact, I think they pronounce it Eason. Um, <laughs> and then our daughter's name is Saffron. Oh, that's that's a very pretty name. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about mine. I was dead set that my, my son was going to be a girl. And even though they told me and I knew the sex of, the, of him before I had him, I did not picture a name. So the whole time I had a girl's name picked out and I, I wanted her to be named Madison. And I was just stuck on the SON at the end. Mm-hmm. And four days after my son was born, when the hospital said, you have to pick a name, you can't leave without a name. I said, it's going to be Jason. It's just, that's, that's just what it's going to be. That's what it felt like. It felt good. He looked like a Jason and we went with that. It's <laughs> yeah, a great name. <laughs> <laughs> So no, that's interesting. So you eventually did get your Madison. Yes, I did. I did. I was I was going to be pretty upset if I did it. But three years later, lo and behold, uh, she's a little fireball. She's awesome. She's she's got my personality. She's got my attitude and my sass. And so she's a splitting image of me looks like her dad, which she will. She's very upset about. But <laughs> Anybody who meets her and, and gets that opportunity to to have some little debates with her, they, they know. They know she they tell me all the time she's a split image of myself. So but yes, I, I eventually got my Madison. All right. Very good. All right. Well, let's get started then. How did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession? It's quite funny because I I initially wanted to join the military right out of high school. I graduated in 1998. Saddleback High School in Santa Ana. And I was like, you know what? Everybody's talking it up. We have those recruiters that go out to the high school and they they hyped it all up for me. I could eventually get a house. I could get all these types of incentives, go to college, all this stuff that would be paid for. And my parents were just um, not, not feeling it. My dad was... He had so many experiences with friends, out of, you know, from Vietnam, his, his the Nam days and stuff. And so he was like, I can't see my, my daughter joining the military it was nothing against the military, but he just could not see his daughter going. My mom was just uh, wanting me to go to college first. And so I, I said, fine, let's let's go that that direction. I'll go do college. I'll try to get that out of the way and figure out what I want to do. And I thought, well, why not do the law enforcement side of things? And I was like, I, I think I want to be a police officer. I think that's where I want to go. 
So I signed up and went through a community college, did my two years at Santa Ana Community College, transferred over to Cal State Fullerton, majored in, got my bachelor's in criminal justice. And while I was getting my bachelor's degree, one of the elective classes, we had a guest speaker, and I honestly don't remember her name, but she was from Irvine Police Department. She was a crime analyst there, and she starts talking about everything she does, how it works for her, and she kind of just shed some light on a lot of things for me at that moment. I guess I had that like like this this moment where I, I reflected back and said, what, what am I doing? Do I really want to be a police officer? At the time, I was working for retail for a, a, a grocery market out here, which is well known out in my neck of the woods, State of Brothers Markets. And I was working graveyard. I was working holidays, you know, just those crazy shifts. And the whole time I, I'm working at Staters, I'm just thinking, I can't wait to get out of this so I can have a steady schedule. I just want to be able to be home with the family on holidays. And here I am looking into a profession that is completely <laughs> not like that at all. In For police officers, you're working holidays. You're working different schedules. You don't have a consistent schedule. So when this analyst came in, in this elective class of ours as a guest speaker, I had no idea what a crime analyst was. And she talked about how she was working in the detective bureau, working on cases, working to assist patrol on citizen issues, working with the chief and everything she talked about. I just sat there. I was like, wow, that's awesome. That's that's kind of what I want to do. Then she went on and talked about how she had this great schedule, how she was making great money, how she had great benefits. At the time at Stater Brothers Markets, we didn't get sick time. We didn't get vacation time and, and stuff like that. And I'm like, this is awesome. And so she sold me. She sold me right there, Jason. And I was like, oh, where do I sign up? And lo and behold, at Cal State Fullerton, they were offering the DOJ certification program. So I signed up and uh, and the rest is history. That's That's what got me. Went from wanting to be a police officer to now here I am as a crime analyst working in law enforcement. Yeah. What year were you in? Gosh, that was back in like... What, 04, I think, 2004, 2003, 4, around there. And then the the DOJ certification, it, does Cal State Fullerton have more than one crime analysis certification or is, it, is the, all of them the DOJ certification? At Cal State Fullerton? Yes. Well, so, so it's interesting you bring this up because they no longer offer DOJ certification at the uh. time was DOJ certified. And it just recently, maybe like in the past year, year and a half, it is no longer DOJ certified. Okay. That's probably what I'm thinking about. Cause I was like, I didn't need, I didn't realize that that certification was DOJ. Yeah. And yep. Then- so for the longest time, that's, that's where a lot of people went to uh, UC Riverside as well as, well, out in our neck of the woods in person ones were UC Riverside and Cal State Fullerton. Yeah. So the DOJ portion of it, is it, what was it, just the curriculum blessed by the DOJ or did it have speakers with DOJ or what was the connection with DOJ? No, pretty much there was, it, it, it appeared to be at the time and I'm pretty sure it still I don't think it changed too much, but you took a series of classes that were approved by DOJ and there was a group of individuals that stated, you know, they kind of gave their blessing like, yes, this is what's required. This is what's necessary. And once those instructors signed off on it and then you completed your internship, all of that was fulfilled. Then you got your letter, you had your application, you turned it into DOJ, they gave the seal of approval and you received your certification. 
right. So now looking back on that certification, what do you find was the best course that helped you in your career as a crime analyst? Oh, um, by far, I would I would have to say, and I, I've told people this several times, it's Brian Gray from the Riverside County Sheriff's Department. He was an instructor for several of the courses and two of the classes, I, I don't remember the names of the exact classes that I, I took from him were by far the, the best courses that I took. He, he gave um, real examples, real cases actual stuff that I still do on a day-to-day basis, you know, examples of incidents that were currently um, taking place because he was uh, a current uh, supervisor for, I believe, his crime analysis unit at the time. And so, so yeah, he, he had people come in and talk and he shared stuff and it, it still, it was stuff that was very relevant to what I was doing when I first started off as a crime analyst and what I still continue to do as a crime analyst today. Yeah. So yeah, we had him on the show. So he, if you have an opportunity to listen to him talk, I highly recommend it. And he's, he's a short timer. He's on his way to retirement. He's going to be a horse farmer outside of Nashville. eventually. Wow. I've heard that he's <laughs> that way. So that's awesome. Yes. So, all right. Well, very good. So then where did you intern? So I interned with the Chino police department. So what was that experience like as you think back? Oh, it was amazing. I, I had two great crime analysts that I, I worked with. They I still consider them mentors today. They they were just phenomenal. They they were the best experience I've had uh, going into um, this profession. And I'm very blessed to say that I was able to learn under them. So Christine Charlie, I, I know she's no longer the analyst there, and Jody Summers, they just kind of went in and showed you everything and and from every aspect, like from tactical, from administrative, they took me out on ride-alongs, drove me around the city, had me sit with officers. The The way they were operating in their unit, they were at the center. And we talk about it all the time as crime analysts, proximity to your detective bureau, to your officers is everything. And you can tell that they were the heartbeat in that division. They, the detectives were constantly in and out. You can tell that they were very, very just needed and, and, and just the detectives were loved having them. I mean, it, I, I can't even describe just how awesome that they worked together and they, they bounced ideas off of each other. They had a great working relationship with each other. And I loved it the entire experience that I had there. So big shout out to them because they did, they did an awesome job. Excellent. Would you recommend to, to listeners if uh, they're looking to get into the field to go out and get a certification? I'm never somebody to say no to furthering your education and experiences. I really, out of the whole experience with going through these courses. I want to say, I mean, Brian's, Brian Gray's classes were awesome, but the internship is the best place to get your experience. And if you have somebody that you can learn under that is helping you and guiding you and, and being a great mentor, just like the two that I had, you're going to be successful. You're going to want to stay as a crime analyst. You're going to want to pursue that career. But if you're just there as the data entry clerk and running errands, you're not going to want to do this. Like I currently have interns and I try to get them involved with everything from every aspect. Like, hey, you know, listen, we're working a robbery series right now. I want you to just sit back and watch. If you have questions along the way, I'll try to explain it to you and try to walk you through it. Because as everybody knows, during an in-progress incident, it's, you're busy, you're overwhelmed. And, Mm -hmm. but I want 
those interns to see that and see how it all goes down, see how the pieces work together. So, so yeah, definitely. I, I, I don't want to say don't do it because there were the internship was a huge, huge part of where I think it's successful for anybody. All right. And I've said this several times on this show. I agree with you. The internship is key. Having working professionals see interns on a day-to-day basics basis, see their work ethic, see how they get along with everybody. That's so invaluable compared to what they may see in grades or from a write-up, another reference, seeing that day-to-day activity from that person, then they'll go to the hiring manager and, and, and speak for you. And so it's really important. And I know I've heard that there's a lot of places that don't allow internships, and which I find unfortunate. There's a lot of police departments that don't allow internships. And there's a lot of law enforcement analysis units that don't have uh, internships program. What would you say to, to folks that say that they just don't have time for the internship or it's too much work to, to have an intern in their office? Well, what I would say is, and I may be speaking for a certain group of people, but for myself, somebody who had no experience in law enforcement, came straight from the retail industry, from a school trying to get my foot in the door, coming in as a new analyst at the Pomona Police Department, not really knowing what to do other than the experience as an intern. It was it, it was truly helpful because not only can I call those interns, I'm sorry, not the interns, my mentors, because I, I can reach out to them and say, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. This is what the captain came in and asked for. He's requesting X, Y, and Z. And they can help walk me through it. I, we're in a different, we're in a unique position at agencies where if you get hired on as a police officer, right? You have several police officers that you could reach out to at that agency that you can ask for assistance or help with. If you're a dispatcher, right? There's other dispatchers there who are working on site with you that can help you out and walk you through it. But when you get hired on as a sole analyst, or if you're, you know, you'll be fortunate enough to work at a, a larger agency where there's several of them. But in a lot of cases, you're you're the sole analyst. You're it. And you really don't have anybody to help you. Hey, how do I do this pivot table? Or how do I, how do I build this crystal report? They're going to look at you like, don't you know how to do that? I don't know how to do that. So an internship helps you with that. And, and not only with my, when my interns go through our program here at the Redlands Police Department, I make sure they go to all of my association trainings. I make sure they network. I make sure that they go to the conferences, reach out to people and talk to them because I'm like, I, I make sure they understand it's just not Redlands. You know, PDs are different from Sheriff's Department. They're different from real-time crime centers, et cetera, et cetera. You, you have to you have to know every kind of like mingle and work with everybody and figure out what's all out there. And then you get to build up that whole rapport with different people and find out like, Hey, that person was saying how great they are with cell phone analysis. Oh, this person knows how to make amazing link charts. I can't call a dispatcher up at my police department to help me with the link chart. I can't call a CSO up to help me up with Photoshop or facial recognition. I mean, some of them are starting to learn it and that's awesome, but you have to build up that network. And that's what internships help. They, they help set that, get that foot in the door and help pave that way for you. Excellent. All right. So then how do you go from your certification then to starting at Pomona? There was a, just like everybody else, Jason, just a position opened up and I said, I'm going to apply. I'm going to try for it. I'm going to see what they got. 
I reached out um, to a couple of people like, hey, you know, what's this position about? Some people said, oh, it's Pomona. It's a fast paced city. Not really understanding what that meant because I wasn't fully in the, the world of crime analysis just yet. I was like a fast paced city. What does that mean? <laughs> well, they, they've got a lot of, and you're going to be busy. And I was like, what is busy? Like I, I plan to be busy. You go in young and eager. You're like, oh, yeah, I want to be busy. And uh, <laughs> you don't quite realize until you get in there what busy means. But yeah, when I applied, it was a grant funded position. So I had to understand like, what does that mean? So pretty much at will position, you can, they'll let you go at the end of uh, term. And yeah, it was, got hired on and uh, was there for several years under a grant, which kept getting extended and extended. I first was brought on as a crime analyst to assist the gang unit. And I was there in the gang unit for a couple of years. And then the department wanted me to be the crime analyst and provide assistance to the entire department. So I transitioned from the gang unit solely providing assistance there to the entire department. Yeah. So that's interesting. So you went into the interview pretty cold, right? I did. And do you remember how many people they interviewed? You know what? I don't remember how many people they interviewed, but I will tell you when I did finally get hired, I was told by my sergeant that in the nicest way too, he said, you weren't our number one pick. And I, I, at first I was like, oh, thank you. Like, you know, you, you don't know what to say. <laughs> thank you. That's great. Awesome. That's good to know. And then he just continued to say how, yeah, you know, we had this one guy, he was working here, he was volunteering, he had military experience, he was great, but he took a job somewhere else. And then this other person, and he continued to go on. It felt like I was like number 30 at, at done talking about how these other candidates were great but the the analyst at the time who was there she was she was doing crime analysis as well she was the management analyst we we laugh about this all the time because we there's there's a way you talk to people and say things and she goes yep that's just the way it was we we like to be upfront and open and honest and sometimes too honest about things so so yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how many people applied for it but I'll, I'll tell you Jason that I was not their first pick which <laughs> I'm very proud of at this point. That's funny. I often say some with some of the IACA positions that I accepted that I was the only one dumb enough to tell them yes, right? I wasn't their first choice either. So that's fascinating that they they told you, but I also think it's impressive that you went through the process, you went in there cold and you kind of showed them what you were made of. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty impressed with that too. (laughs) Going in cold and not really knowing, knowing a lot, but I will tell you, it was, um, it was one of my, my hardest times. It was, there was a lot going on back then. I I learned quickly what fast paced was. And you, you can ask many of my colleagues and I'll be the first to tell you it was, it was, it was a pretty hard time just keeping up, adjusting to the culture of that department. Great, great people who work there, but it, it was it was different. It was not this nice, very rare, every once in a while you have a homicide. It wasn't anything like that. It, it was fast paced and I learned quickly to adapt and work with that. And it was stressful at times, but I felt overwhelmed. I remember if you're an awesome analyst, I, you're going to have those days that you can, at a certain point, you go home and, and you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. If I remember <laughs> having dreams of coding and waking up, trying to build crystal reports and have, and waking up in the middle of the night and I would have a post-it, <laughs> a post-it <laughs> post-its next to my bed and I would write down like, oh, it's this. And I would write it down and my husband would just go, what are you doing? And just like, for anybody 
understands that. You'll you'll totally get me because you're frustrated. Go through that all the time, trying to figure out something. And once you get it, it's game changer for you when, when you're when you're dealing with reports like that. Hmm. So, so then you're supporting the gang unit. What are some of the tasks that you're doing? How are you supporting the gang unit? So working in the gang unit, first of all, it was trying to understand what, what they actually needed. I, I don't think they knew what they actually needed. They, they knew what they were doing. They knew how they were operating. But it was like, okay, well, what type of assistance are we going to need from a crime analyst? Not in, And they, they really didn't understand what a crime analyst did or was, what their function was. So it was, okay, well, we have a crime analysis. We need to identify where these, these murders are happening. These drive-by shootings are happening. Are, is there a correlation between the street robberies and these, these contacts that we're making, like our carjackings? We were having just so many incidents. And at the time, they didn't have any type of mapping software, any type of mapping solution, any type of report that would spit out like, a, like an automated report uh, of like their gang member bookings, like their gang areas. They, they didn't have anything anything like that at the time. So I went in there and helped them create stuff like that, reports like that, where, okay, these were your, your bookings for the past the past 24 hours. These were your gang member bookings that you had. Now, patrol would get off you know, at a certain time. And by the time the detectives came in, they didn't realize that these guys made contact with them or made or arrested them and they were going back out looking for them. So we had something that was automated, which is where Crystal Reports came into play. Our most active members that were being contacted, having a system like that where we could create reports to help them with that. So a lot of it was more administrative, working on that end, flyers that we put out, we person of interest, stuff like that. Like this guy is responsible for, at the time, it was a big deal, several GTAs and carjackings. He's got priors for XYZ. He's from this gang or individuals that were being released just so that they had that information at the same time. And, and this was back in what, 08, 09. This was all, all fairly new to them. So I, it was so fairly new that I remember when I, when I got hired there, I went to a detective and asked him, and this was an older detective who was ready to retire. I go, Hey, listen, I can make that flyer for you. If you want, just send me the information, just write up a brief synopsis and the images you want me to use. And I'll put that stuff together. And he just looked at me. I remember and He said, he goes, email, what? <laughs> like here, here's the paper. Here's the picture. Go do what you have to do. It was, it was still like, just to look back at that era and remember like having to get these guys to send stuff like that. So when you did a crystal report, it was like a game changer for them, like just something automated and they didn't have, they were like, how did you do that? That's awesome. So I I might be aging myself here by explaining that because all that just seems like stuff that should be done today. But back then it it was, it was a game changer. Maps, presentation of maps and mapping things out. That that was another big deal. Oh, no, no. We've had a guest on our show that actually put together pin maps. Yeah. Right. Posters on the wall where they put a pin and had a string. (laughs) That's what they did. Yeah. So, all right. Well, this brings us to one of your badge stories, your analyst badge stories. And for those that may be new to the show, this is the career defining case or project that an analyst works on. And so here we're still at Pomona and you uh, get to work on a missing persons case. Yes. So it's funny because it's at the very end of my, my tenure with the Pomona Police Department. 
um, a missing person detective comes up to me and says, Hey, I'm going to need your help on some stuff. We've got a missing person case and it's quite unique. She actually went missing and I don't have all the actual the numbers in front of me here because it's been so, so long ago, but it was like about 20 years ago. And I was like, Oh, wow. And he goes, yeah, the problem is I can't find the missing person report. And the family member of hers, she's come in and she's, she's asking, I think it was actually longer than 20 years ago. She's asking for an update and I, I don't know what she's talking about. I don't know where it is. She explains everything to me. And um, it sounds like it may have been archived, but at the time back in, I want to say it was like the sixties when she went missing, there were no uh, systems in place. There wasn't a there wasn't stuff like that. And it just, it fell through the cracks and it got lost. So we pretty much had to take the report from like the very, from ground zero and work it up. We sat with the sister of the missing person. I believe she was about seven years old when her sister went missing. Her sister was about 15 or 16 years old. She was in high school. I went to Pomona high school at the time. And all she remembers is her family being distraught that night and her knowing that she didn't come home from school. There was, everybody was frantic for a couple of weeks. And um, they said they went to, she goes, I remember going to the police department, officers coming over and um, that was it. So I, I, I wanted to just kind of reach out and see like, has any, nobody's ever contacted us or reached out and had any updates. So we went from there and started from ground zero and started taking statements, pulling information. We did a fat chart on her. This was before it, or actually it was kind of during the beginning of ancestry.com and all of this mm -hmm. stuff. That was just starting off. And we, it was link charts, network relationship analysis, timelines. And it was, I want to say one of my favorite cases because I got exposed to so much. Just what, what type of case in, in reality, when you're working stuff up, do you get to use all these types of systems? You have a link chart, you have a diagram, you have a timeline, you have different systems, age enhancement images, working with Nick Mega. It, it was just a really great case that I, I enjoyed working up. And at the end of the day, you were like, this, I hope we find whether alive, dead, whatever it may be. It was, it was a good case for me. So how, and it was, old, how old was she when she went missing? She was about 15 or 16 years old. Okay. So we're working this up and uh, we actually opened up, uh, like went through family history, found a bunch of incidents that were seemed like maybe the uncle possibly kidnapped her and might've had something to do with it. Just all these different theories that we, we opened up and families kind of like they found out other information about things that she was doing or hanging out with other people. And her father was on, was on his deathbed and was trying to get, he was trying to just get some closure to know where his daughter was at. And we got to a point where we're like, listen, we, we have nothing else. We don't know what happened. So briefly, she leaves to school in the early morning hours. She meets up at the park where the, the bus stop is at, where all kids go and meet up. And she's there and she meets up with a friend. Her friend is the last person to see her. And they're standing there and they said they're both smoking a cigarette. And they look over in the park and there's this guy, an, an Indian gentleman, an Indian looking gentleman, long, dark hair. He's looks like he's, the friend says, it looks like he's rolling up a joint or something, very hippie-ishy looking. And he's in a yellow Volkswagen. And he walks up to the girls and says, do you guys want to have a smoke? And the friend says, nope, we got to go to school. And her 
are missing says, yeah, I don't mind. The friend tries to persuade her like, hey, the bus is getting here. Let's go. And she says, no, you go ahead. She goes, I'll meet you up later and uh, never sees her again. So oh, wow. that's the last that we know of that happened. So that's all we have. And it's it's been years, right? <laughs> that's that's all we went to go went off of. Fast forward, we, we do our investigation, we work everything up, family history, last known contacts, anybody who, who knew of those individuals and trying to find people that still lived in the area, trying to find people that were still alive back then. But putting it all together, organizing it was awesome. And uh, finally, we got with the NICMIC and National Children of Missing and Exploited Children, National Center of Missing and Exploited Children. They assisted in whatever they could. They said, let's get some last known pictures of her, do an age enhancement photo, and we'll distribute it. That's that's the last we could do. During this time, it was coming towards the end of 2012, and I was already getting ready to um, move. I was planning on, I had already applied for the Redlands Police Department, and I was transit. So I... I did that. And that was the last I heard with that, that detective. He said, we did the age enhancement photo. This is what it looks like. This is what she, she would look like uh, today. And we distributed it and, and that's it. We, we've got nothing else. And I said, all right, well, here's my new contact information. Keep me posted. Let me know if anything comes up. Um, about six to eight months later, I get a phone call at now I'm working for the Redlands police department. He calls me up and he says, you're not going to believe it. We found our, our missing. And I said, no way. And he goes, yep. Yeah. And the way he was saying, I was like, it's, in my gut, in my heart, I felt like she was no longer moving. And I asked, I go, did you, did you find her buried somewhere? Like, how did this happen? And he just kind of stayed quiet for a bit. And he said, no, she's alive. Wow. <laughs> and I popped and I was like, what? And I'm like, where? And he's like, are you sitting down? And I said, he goes, you're not going to believe this. And I said, oh my gosh. And he goes, well, you know, they did that photo and they distributed it and he goes I didn't know where it was going they just said it was going to be distributed through all their different contacts and so forth but apparently it went out and it got distributed on a I do apologize right now we're gonna have a fire truck go through he goes we're gonna this this flyer got distributed on um, back east and uh, it was on a pizza box and apparently her significant other and herself they ordered pizza and they were sitting down for dinner. They opened up the pizza box, had a couple of slices, were sitting down. The significant went, o- went over to put stuff away, looked at the pizza box, and as a joke, said to our missing, hey, this kind of looks like you. Look at this Look at this picture on the box. And uh, the missing person looks at it, and it says, out of Pomona, California. And she just stops and just kind of is in awe and uh, tells her significant other, that's actually me. I didn't know anybody was looking for me. I just thought my family didn't care and, and, and had nothing else to do with me. I never heard from them again. And uh, they contacted Nick Mick and told us where she was at. And long story short, she grew up in a home that her and her father remarried and he had four to five kids and his new wife had four to five kids. They were living in a three bedroom home. And it sounded like there was some, the boys from the other side of the family were doing some inappropriate things to the girls. Dad working two to three jobs. The new mom didn't care. She just was um, not involved and nothing was happening. And she was like, I just got to get out of this. And she left and she goes, nobody, you know, came looking for me. So I just moved on with my life. (laughs) It was, it was, it was just shocking to, to hear that a picture like that made it across the East Coast and on a pizza box. And we were able to close out wow. that. So, um, wow, that's, uh, that's, I don't know, serendipity right there. Wow. Um, so 
so where did she go she's 15 years old and then she just doesn't tell anybody she just goes out on her own and lives her life so her story is she meets up with this guy they go and they're getting high and smoking and they start living in a van they become intimate with each other for a couple of years they end up traveling to a different state i want to say they went to like colorado or something and um, they're there for a while she leaves him she meets somebody else starts working hanging out with friends out there and just built a life just did her own thing and come to find out she said that she goes i just got all of my information and nobody flagged anything and we we never knew there was no check for credit history or anything because she was a juvie at the time right Mm -hmm. i mean think back back in the 60s right and if this report wasn't correctly filed um or it just got lost through the cracks we don't we don't know what took place with that nothing was ever done i mean it it's so crazy to think about cases like that. And I mean, how many additional people are out there missing and something like that happened as well. But fortunately for us, we were able to close that out with a somewhat success story, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, man. Yeah, to miss, be missing and not know it kind of right, thing. Right, Wow. So that is an interesting story. Fascinating. A crazy story like that, but... I did enjoy it personally working at Pomona, doing something like that, being exposed to all these different data sets and working on it and working with the NICMEC and, and seeing something like that come out of it. And it was at the very end of my, my tenure there with the Pomona Police Department. So one of my, my favorite cases at Pomona PD. Hello, this is Brian Gray. And my advice for analysts is don't settle for mediocrity. If you want to be happy in this career, Long term, you can't be a minimalist. Just don't do what you're asked for. Do what you know is right. And don't ever, ever substitute quantity for quality. And if you haven't found a way to put design to work for you, you're not doing your best work. Hey there, everybody. This is Albert Messa, and I'm here to ask you a very important question. Have you ever done a sit along with the dispatcher? If the answer is no, and you're currently an analyst, you're missing out on a huge piece of the data puzzle. Not only will you open your eyes to how data is captured, entered, and coded, you'll see how calls are prioritized and dispatched and get a true feel for CAD data. You'll get to see it in a whole new light and use it as a tool in your analysis. And who doesn't want to sit with the true first responder who probably saved a life right before they sat with you? Well, let's move on then. You transitioned to Redlands. So what made you leave Pomona for Redlands? Well, as mentioned before, I was I was working under a grant. So every year it was, am I going to continue working? Am I still going to have a paycheck? Am I going to, I had no benefits. So I, I was looking for something full-time. They were trying to get me there full-time. It's just the, like everybody else, budget is mm-hmm. what we they rely on and the monies just weren't there. So Redlands PD reached out to me and said, Hey, we're applying this position where you know, we, we hope you apply. We're reaching out to a bunch of people. This is what we're offering. This is what we have. And I applied and I honestly didn't even know where Redlands was. Never ventured out that far East. And uh, yeah, I, I, I took the job and came over and I, I've been here since, since 2013 and uh, I love it. It's awesome. All right. So how does Redlands differ? Oh, tremendously. It's night and day, completely different. Not fast paced as as much as Pomona, but definitely a a lot slower 
paced in in regards to crime. We we are a, a smaller community. When I first got hired on, the the way it was described to me was we're the town of Mayberry. And I, I might be dating myself here as well too, but it's from Andy Griffith. Everybody knows everybody. And my my first week here, I, I joked with a former colleague from Pomona and my first week here, we had a, a tone out of, so it was an in-progress call. And um, our whole detective bureau, like, ran out the door. And I was looking at the, I thought my CAD was down, because I'm like, what call are they on? Like, what are they, I'm turning the radio up. I have no idea what's going on. And it was a, a theft of a vacuum cleaner from Kmart. And fact <laughs> was still in the parking lot. And I was just blown away. Like, wow, that's awesome. It's great to work for a city that could do that. And they were no joke. We, we, we have an amazing group of people that work here. When, when we have a homicide, we, we all work the homicide. We don't, we're not fortunate enough to have a homicide unit. Like other agencies, like at Mona, there's a homicide unit. There's a gang unit, the robbery suppression team. It, it's us. That's it. There's only um, six to, to seven, maybe eight of us at certain times. But that's it. We work everything together. And and it's awesome. It's great. We don't have as many homicides as Pomona. We're knock on wood. We're, we're, we're blessed in that sense. But uh, we do have our property crimes, just like every other city. And, and they tend to be going up. And we're busy. We're very, very busy trying to go after and, and work up these big cases and series and working in partnership with other agencies. It keeps us busy. We're, 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 we're definitely in need of some more staff to help out, to give 100% to all these cases, but we do our best. We do our best. And and I think we're pretty good at it. Yeah. Now, did they tell you whether they were, you were their first choice? (laughs) But they were very smart about it and they did it. (laughs) Uh, My current police used to be a former crime analyst here. So he probably knows the way and he's like, Hey, wait a minute. Let's, let's not give too much information. So yeah, um, they did, they did not, they did not disclose that information. (laughs) All right. But so, but this gets us into your second badge story, which you do, even though there's not a lot of them, you do work a a homicide case. Yeah. It's interesting because when I first came over, everybody said, oh, it was the the chief, when I did my, my interview with him, he said, we're, we're very different from Pomona. We're, we're, we're busy, not as busy with major big cases like Pomona violent crime. But when we do have our, our incidents, we will, he goes, you'll, you'll see that you may have some, some downtime, but during that time, we'll be working on X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. But uh, he goes, when we do have a case here, what I have noticed is they're interesting. It, it's just not like your typical, forgive me for saying this, but like when you say your typical homicide, right? It's just this person did it, this one, this is who we know did it, your who did it type of homicide. He goes, we have the interesting ones. We have the ones where it might make a lifetime movie. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. And um, he goes, but don't worry about it. Just, you know, let us know if you have any issues and we we appreciate the expertise is kind of what he was, his direction he was going. So within a few weeks of me being here at Redlands, we turn on the news and we have choppers flying over and there's a, a body dumped in our city. And that was my, my first case. And it's, it's a young girl. She's in her early 20s. She's wrapped in a clear bag and she's tossed in our fields nude. And 
we have officers out there. Somebody stumbles upon her in the early morning hours as they're walking their dog. And we end up finding out everything kind of goes like, okay, let's work backwards. When did she find it? Or when did they discover her body? And kind of bringing my expertise and knowledge and the familiar stuff that I had with Pomona Police Department and how they operate it. Coming in, it was bringing a lot to the table for our unit at the time because they're not exposed to that all the time. So it was it was kind of neat to bring info over to a unit and help them. Like, yeah, you could do cell phone analysis. Like there's a, how about a tower dump? How about this? They had never done stuff like that because they don't work homicides that often. So that was kind of cool coming in, doing stuff like that. And then doing a timeline, like, okay, well, let's start off and you're going to can- canvassing the area and looking at videos. Videos was a big deal. And coming to this city, that's what the city kind of started off with. And they kicked off having videos at different intersections. So kind of just backtracking. And it's kind of what really helped this case is we were able to identify where she was at the last known location based on her cell phone information, got video footage, and just followed it backwards and saw her in San Bernardino, a neighboring city of ours where she walked over to, where her clothes were uh, last seen, where a friend had seen her, mapped out the information and kind of provided a visual for them, which they've never been able to, like, well, I shouldn't say never, but like they, they hadn't had in a very long time. So putting that information together, once we, we got all that laid out for them and worked up some some information on her last known contacts, family members, playing that role and helping guide them in their investigation was, was really great. But what we found out was she, she ends up, they process her body and we end up getting a hit on some of the DNA from her body. And it matches an, a, an old case out of San Bernardino and on a victim who was assaulted, who was sexually assaulted years several years prior, who now resides in Arizona. And when we contacted her, she described an incident where suspect approached her. She was known to, back in the day, be a prostitute, walked up to her. He beat her up. She gave a description of him. We did a sketch on this guy. We had a press release, put him out there, described his car, described the car that he was possibly driving in back then when our previous assault occurred, put it out to the public. And we started getting our wee tips, our, our line started blowing up and we, we got information from an individual who was also a prostitute during that time and knew our victim and said, Hey, I I've seen this car. I know who this guy is. He's very abusive. He's rough with our girls. This is, this is the license plate. And so the individual who, who got the call ran it up. It doesn't match anything. The RO of the vehicle isn't matching. And it's kind of just dismissed. You get all these, mm-hmm. you know, we tips that are coming in, but she kept calling. She was adamant. She kept calling and calling and calling. And so finally my sergeant said, he goes, Hey, listen, I got this, this person calling. Um, actually it wasn't the sergeant. It was the, the, one of the case agents on, on the, on the case. And he says, he goes, can you, you know what, can you just like, see if there's anything, like just look it up and maybe she's off a digit or something. Can you just play around with it? And I said, well, yeah, sure. No problem. So I have a light duty officer who's working with me and we were kind of just going back and forth, running up different combinations of the plate. And I said, all right, let's try this. Let's try that. And mind you, in my office, we have like our whole, our war board. We have the pictures, the (laughs) suspect sketch is blown up huge. And um, we're in there and we're running up different combinations. And so I'm getting the hit on the return of the, the vehicle and I give her the information and she pulls up the the registered owner via our DMV website right so she's going through it and I get 
I, I actually almost passed it up because of the return on this one particular combination, it came back to a female name. And without giving a lot of information, the, the name came back the first Sue, like Sam Union Edward, right? But the middle was Robert, right? And so I was like, well, that's weird. And I go, oh, maybe it's like, well, let's just see what this one is. So my, uh, my light duty officer runs it up. She goes, say it again. Are you sure? And I go, yeah. And she goes, she prints it out and she holds up the picture from across the way. And we both look at each other and it's a match on our sketch. And we just look at each other and I said, let's, let's just be careful and try it one more time. Let's make sure it's the correct when you have that feeling. Yeah. We're, hold on right now. Like the room just stood still for a hot second. And um, I literally almost passed it up. And it, it was awesome. We were able to, we ran over, of course, grabbed our detective, showed them, explained it, the whole situation. They said, all right, let's figure it out. Let's see who this is. Let's go make contact with him. He might just be in the area. Who knows if he's even related. Detectives go out there, knock on his door. He comes to the door. He's answering questions. He actually lets them in. He's answering questions. It seems, according to the detectives, just like, no, yeah, I might've been in the area. Very calm. He has a family of his own. And uh, all right, well, thank you very much. If we have any further information, the typical, right? Mm-hmm. Our detectives come back. They're like, I don't know. This is what he said. We'll look into a little bit more. He just, it, it doesn't seem like, it were, and at the time we're like, all right, well, we tried, right? Mm-hmm. I might just like him. Later that night, we get a call from the city where he was residing, where they went and made contact. And it was a um, suicidal call. He was out there and he was trying to, he wanted an attorney and he, the wife was hysterical. It sounded like he was giving up some information and uh, he, he couldn't, he, he just couldn't bear to think that now this was all coming forward and, and we knew. And it, it, long story short, he was arrested. He was held for both incidents, our homicide and the assault. And it, it was a great case to just get closure on and link him up and, and give some closure to that family. Yeah. So did he end up admitting it or did it go to trial or how did it how did that part end so it ended he ended up admitting certain parts of it he tried to change his story up several times we ended up getting evidence putting him there based on just the different dna stuff that we had the vehicle that he had back when the assault from the other incident took place we were able to link him with that and uh, i don't honestly remember if he admitted it like 100 but they Mm -hmm. they did convicting him of the homicide so yeah that was great I, I i want to even say there was like a confession at one point to his brother about the stuff that he did something to the effect of like with our case what he did with the body how he transported it yeah so just out of curiosity in terms of the license plate what did the lady have wrong of what i remember it was i want to say it was a seven and the the letter l as in lincoln oh i gotcha like all right <laughs> Like something like that. Man, that is a fascinating story. That's where due diligence pays off, right? Yeah. All right. So then you also mentioned property crime, right? And we're living in the times now where catalytic converters theft is back on the rise again. Yeah. And we, and we were talking about in the prep call there, you, you had an interesting solution of the current project that you're working on dealing with catalytic converters. Yes. So we're in the pandemic, right? And we're kind of just living day to day, not knowing what's happening, what's going on. And who would have ever thought that the criminals would have been as, as, um, (laughs) as, as crazy as, as 
starting to steal catalytic converters. And that starts popping off in 2020. Everybody's seeing it's nationwide. And in the beginning, though, we're kind of just like, what is happening? Each analyst is, it's like, man, we just had like five, we've had eight, we've had, like, it's going to 15 a week. It's, it's growing to like 80 a month. And you look at the year prior too, and you like in our, in our city, we may have had eight for the entire year, but it, it kicked off and it kicked off big. Everybody was experiencing it. And we're, we're, we're all still trying to figure out how to do Zoom, how to do go-to meetings. And our typical is you you would, you know, normally meet up with different agencies and roundtable the idea in person, right? And that's all changed ever since the pandemic. Now it's it's awesome that we can, like, I can meet up with you, Jason, right now, virtually. Mm-hmm. Yes. Have so it's been awesome. And so that's that's what we were trying to do is reach out. And But we, we kind of took it back to good old-fashioned work and like, let's meet in person. Let's figure this out. And when we, when we were finally given the okay to meet in person, I want to say it was about maybe six to eight months into 2020. I don't know, like, well, I want to say like maybe like August, September ish. We had a, a roundtable meeting in our county, like countywide, like what, what's happening? What are we doing? What is your agency doing? Are, are you guys getting filings? Are you guys getting suspects? Are you, how are you linking them up? And so there was, I want to say at least like 60 people, 60 to 70 people at this meeting. It was your typical detective and his crime analysts or crime analysts several of them. And we had people from auto theft task force. We had lieutenants or sergeants who were just like trying to figure out what we could do about it. So we go to this meeting and the detectives and, you know, the people are going around the table and we're, we're talking about, you know, what agency you're from, what are you experiencing? How are you guys handling stuff? And towards the end, we pretty much discovered that each analyst was doing the exact same thing. They were either creating an Excel spreadsheet, the, the typical date, time, location, suspect information, notes, whatever it may be, via either Excel, a Google Doc, an Airtable, whatever it may be. And so we were just like, okay, well, why don't we, at the end of the conversation, we said, like, let's get everybody to be on one page. Like, we'll all have access to your, your spreadsheet so we can look to see if we have the same suspect information and we could probably do something like, like that. Well, we decided to incorporate it into an air table and we quickly found out that the county had too, too many that it crashed right away. Like they had too many, we didn't have enough free credits to bring the county and everybody else's data into it. So we had to come up with like plan B and plan B turned out being remembering all these classes that we went to at the Esri conference and just like hearing about how they talk about how we could bring in data, share it on the cloud. It could be hosted here. You can do this. You can do that. Map it out. You'll be able to do search. You can search this. You can search that. And I said, let's, let's take what we've been told from Esri that we could do and do something like that. Let's bring in all this data. Let's collaborate with each other and see if this can work. And I ran it by those of you that don't know, and you should know I'm already John Beck. He said, yeah, we could do definitely do something like this. Let's, let's get with a couple of people and we'll set something up. And he goes, he gave me some, some ideas and the direction, which we all agreed on was we, we got to reach out to one agency that will be like the hub. They got to be the hub, the central point to kind of invite all these other people in, but they're, they're the main ones that are going to be kind of like just your hub, right? So we reached out to Michelle Kelly. She's a supervising crime analyst with the Sheriff's Department from San Bernardino and uh, got with her staff and uh, put the idea together. They were on board with it. And we met a few weeks later with analysts, with some Esri employees, the county GIS uh, person who is amazing. Her name's Natalie Campos. 
And we had different analysts from agencies that put together, like, this is what we need. This is what's critical. This is how it's going to, this is how, this is what we need in order for this to be successful. And the, the, the GIS analyst, she took everything that we want and everything that we need. And she helped us create a dashboard, a survey to input all of our stuff in there and an easy platform for us to connect all of these crimes, link them up, identify if the Priuses are being targeted, if school bus depots are being targeted, if their people are hitting warehouses, like our Amazon warehouses, stuff like that. We we put that all in there. And now we have few um, cities within the county, but we have a good majority. I want to say at least like 85 to 90% of the agencies in our county are are within this dashboard and are updating. And, and it's been pretty successful. We've been able to see the trend. We've been able to see, okay, well, chief is asking, how come we've had 80 incidents? Well, chief, it's not just us. It's this city, this city, and this city. We can show him quickly and instantly. We can show him, hey, this is how many vehicles were targeted in this neighborhood, but we're on the borderline of this city. So it's not just us. They they went on a, a spree that night. They hit our city. They hit Ukaipa. They hit Calamesa, et cetera, et cetera. We can show a pattern. So it was awesome. It was great. And, and it, it was a group effort. I don't want, it wasn't solely just me or one person. It was a lot of great people in the room. I kudos Natalie Campos, who's the GIS analyst that helped just take our, our dream, our, our ideas of what we wanted to do and make them happen and show us along the way. So yeah, it was, it was a great project for us to all work on it. And we've been doing great stuff with it. Yeah. And it's, and it continues today. Yeah. Yep. It's currently being used. I, today is intern Wednesday and my interns are, that's one of their items that they update and they manage and they input all of our information in there. So we, if they have partial plates, if they have any suspect information, they run it through and check to see if anybody else has had any similars. So it's, it's been awesome. It's been a great tool. All right. And and have you able to make any arrests or connect different cases based on this data? We were actually at the California conference just this past year. And one of the guys who was helping us, the analyst from San Bernardino Police Department, we're sitting there and he sees the flyer come out and he's like, oh, let me run this plate and see. And he, that's, that's the beauty of it is you can, it's cloud-based. You just have a login and you access it. And sure enough, it's hit in a couple of other cities. And we were able to link those up that this guy not only hit, you know, that city in particular, but a couple of other ones. And, and we were able to link them up and, and put them on those cases. Now, I don't know if they filed on them or anything like that, but oh. um, we thought that that vehicle was in the same area and possibly good for those crimes as well. Excellent. And what was the analyst's name? Matt Good. Excellent. All right. Well, hey, I, I probably could explore that a little bit more, but I'm going to move on now because I do want to talk about the association, the Inland Empire Crime and Intelligence Analysts Association that you're currently the president. And that that name is certainly a mouthful. But I do I'd <laughs> want to just talk about what's your plan, what you hope to accomplish with the association and just to get Take the temperature of the association currently. Um, you know, there's about currently we're at about maybe 80 to I want to say about 80 members in our association. We have uh, which makes up we have officers who are in our association, records personnel. It's just not solely made up of crime analysts, but we encourage them to be members of our association because we want our officers to come to our trainings with their analysts so that the analyst isn't trying to go back and explain what they learned at our trainings to their officers. It just seemed 
silly. And so they have a better idea of learning when we're putting on cell phone analysis trainings, when we're putting on debriefs, debriefs are, are huge. You, you want to have your analysts and your officers there. When we're doing NIBRS training, our records personnel, right? Like you work hand in hand with them. So yeah, so I, we don't have, it's not solely just all analysts. It makes up different people in the law enforcement profession, in our association. And funny story, I'm going I'm to throw out a name here, Jason. Uh, <laughs> Rhonda Maher, who's currently on the IACA board, she kind of, I give her a hard time about this, kind of brought me in to the association. Uh, She brought me in, told me I had to be a member way back when I first started off as a crime analyst. And then I want to say I was maybe a member for a few years. And she said, you should try to be a board member. You should try. And like we talked about earlier, I didn't say no. And I didn't know any better. And you don't realize all the work that it entails, but it, it, it was probably like the best thing. I, I've networked like crazy. I have a great group of members. I know them all. I feel personally, my, my board makes fun of me because obviously since we went virtual, I've tend to uh, forget what people look like. And so they give me a hard time because I'm always like, wait, who's that again? What agency? And especially those that leave an agency and go to another one. And I'm like, wait, where did you go? When did that happen? So we have a great group of people. They do amazing stuff. We we have we try to have a, a training every month. Our, our big ones are our debriefs. We have about, we open it up to other law enforcement professional or personnel as well. And we've had people from, you know, de- come down from Arizona. We've had social media training. We've had Esri computer lab trainings. Talking with John Beck, it's like, hey, he's like, what can we do to help you guys out? And I go, give us training. How many, how many times have analysts just been told, here is the mapping solution software? Go map. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what this is. How do I do this? What's this shape file? You have to learn everything from ground zero. And so they've been awesome with that. Esri has been a huge, huge supporter of our association, as well as our sister associations and everybody and everybody else, I feel like in the crime analysis profession. But yeah, we have an annual end of the year event. And my biggest thing is I want everybody to benefit. Our association should be training, affordable training. It's hard to to get people to, or agencies to pay for these four or $500 courses and, and have trainers that give back. So if we know of a great presenter, let's, let's bring them out. Let's, let's share the, share the knowledge, right? That's what I want to do for our association. That's my main goal. And I feel like we've been very successful. I feel like we've done a great job. I feel like we, we network like crazy and we we're good at like, Hey, do you have a contact over here? Hey, I heard you, you're doing some great cell phone analysis. Can you help me out with that? Hey, your agency just got some new ALPR flock cameras. How did you go about and get that? We've, we've, we've grown and it, it's been awesome to have that network. And when we meet up at our end of the year holiday, we're like, Hey, how's it going? I feel like it's a family reunion and yeah. that's awesome, awesome to have. So, so, so I love it. It's awesome. One other topic that we talked about the other day and when we did the prep call is this idea of as an analyst getting on the job for eight plus years and almost plateauing, getting to the point where you're in the comfort zone and maybe not as excited to learn and reach out and do other aspects. I guess it's law enforcement analysis in the 30s kind of thing. And and I think that's reflective too. If you go to the conferences, the, most of the attendees are first or second year analysts, right? If there's a, an analyst that they're with 10 years of experience there, they're most likely presenting or on a board or something like that. 
I mean, the heavy majority of attendees at these conferences are one, two, three-year analysts. So I guess for you, though, you still have that hunger. You still want to learn, and you're not scared to ask for help. So I wanted to end the interview, just talk about that a little bit. It's funny because we, we go to these conferences, and, and I encourage anybody. I'm going to do another name drop here. I, I call him the the mascot of conferences, Albert Mesa from Henderson Police. He, he was the first person who, one of well, one of many who I met at Pomona Police Department. And he, different people who you meet at these conferences and you network with and you, you, you learn from and you, you, you have your therapy sessions with as well. You, you find out as you get there. And like you said, you're either teaching a class or you're involved in something or you're meeting up with people. And I, I feel like I do a lot of, at this point in my career, meeting with people, having meetings, um, meeting up with vendors too. The vendors do reach out early on. They say, Hey, we'd love to see you at the conference and scheduling all of those. in. the, the venues are phenomenal. Like they're beautiful. You go to Vegas and you, you get a lot of grief from your, your coworkers back at work. Cause they're like, oh, must be nice. You're going to Vegas. We know what you're going to be doing. You're <laughs> partying, having a great time. And I am exhausted when I come back. I don't know about everybody else, but I am like exhausted from like meeting people, having meetings with vendors, trying to get information back from my department, whether you're presenting, whatever it may be. But I think it's, it's great to, to go to these events and, make sure you remember, like, I remember being those new, those newbies, right? I remember that eagerness and excitement and, and bring them up, like, talk to them about, like, what are your success stories? What are you doing at your agency? That's awesome. Let them be the ones that are talking, right? You you tend to sometimes get into that habit of the, you, you get people who are talking about themselves the entire time. Let them run the conversation and and tell you some stuff that they're doing and let them shine just a little bit because it it's awesome. And give them some input here and there, but remember, they also have to, to learn themselves. They also have to grow. And I, I think that's awesome because when, when you have these new people that are coming and they're excited and you don't want to correct them, you, you want them to learn just like your kids. You could tell your kids all day long, right? Like, hey, you're going to fall, you're going to fall, you're going to fall. And then they fall and you're like, oh, you see? You see what I mean? But you're their parents, so they're not going to listen. And it's kind of like the same thing. And but it's 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 a learning experience too. That's 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 great. I do appreciate kind of looking back and helping those and seeing the new ones coming up. Just kind of taking. A, I, I also see. I don't know about you, Jason. When you go to the conferences, you do see like those those senior analysts now that are kind of taking that back seat and kind of watching it and not being as as involved or hands on as much, right? And they're kind of just enjoying it. They're in cruise mode which is pretty cool too. And, and, and I like it. I like it. It's great to have those conversations with them. For, for those of you uh, have never met Steve Gottlieb, you got people <laughs> like at the conferences, right? The man, the myth, the legend there. And yeah. it's like, go and sit down and, and have that conversation with him at lunch, dinner, and just hear what he has to say and, and learn, take, take a couple of things from different people. So I know you, you say when you hit that plateau, you, you've been doing this and you're like, now what, what's next for me? I guess like the biggest thing is it, it's going to be a leadership role at that point when you, when you've plateaued and you want to now, like, what can I do? How can I give back? I, the biggest thing that I see in, in a lot of people who I look up to, it's that leadership, like how the confidence that they have. I've noticed now that they speak up more, they're, they're more sure of themselves. They're not, they're not questioning so much if they can do this, if they can't. 
um, getting to that point now where you're now giving back, like you're in that leadership role, just like kind of sworn operates, right? How many of us have known our, our supervisors when they were a patrol officer? And I feel like I'm aging myself again, Jason here, but <laughs> they're now your sergeant, they're your lieutenant, your captain, some of them, even our chiefs. All right. Our last segment to the show is Words to the World. And this is where I give the guests the last word. Amy, you can promote any idea that you wish. What are your words to the world? Oh my gosh, here. I, as as uh, lame as this may, may sound, I guess it's, we joke about this at work all the time and it's uh, live, laugh, love, right? You gotta, you gotta be in the moment. You gotta remember to, to be true to yourself. Life's too short. Take it all in, but don't don't overdo it. Don't overthink it. Don't overcomplicate it. You're amazing. Shine, do what you got to do. And at the end of the day, we're only human. Just remember that. Enjoy what you have and enjoy it today. Enjoy it now. Very good. Where I leave every guest with, you've given me just enough to talk bad about you later. (laughs) But I do appreciate you being on the show, Amy. Thank you so much and you be safe. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.